this idea of conversations with Jesus. Uh, uh, the Gospel of John, again, has this uh, fascinating feature of lots of these kind of personal interviews and conversations. We've been looking at some of that. And I want to look at just a, a couple of verses here toward the end of chapter 8 because there's a statement that's made uh, that is pretty significant, and I think it has a lot to do with, with Christmas, if you will. In uh, John chapter 8, Jesus has been uh, having this discussion with the religious leaders, and he's making some pretty dramatic statements about, uh, you know, that uh, 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 they don't believe in God because they don't believe in Him. If they believed in God, they would believe His Word. All, all of those matters uh, uh, coming to bear on that. And uh, Jesus said to them, uh, uh, you know, that I am, I, I am uh, of my Father and you're not. And then uh, Jesus says to them in verse 58, I just want you to look at this. Jesus says to the religious leaders to them, He says, uh, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was, I'm, now, now the religious leaders are, are shook up and say, hey, you're only 50 years old. <clears throat> and so we're talking several hundred years difference here between Abraham, uh, you know, and, and Jesus. And he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. Now that, that's an interesting conversation that he's having with them. Because as you'll notice here, when they heard this, what did they do? They picked up stones to throw at him. Because Jesus had, had uh, uh, to throw stones at him because Jesus had essentially said, I'm God. I'm God. The word I am or the name I am in Greek and in Hebrew is the sacred name, if you will, uh, of God in the Old Testament, which we understand to be Yahweh or how we pronounce that. When Jesus makes this statement, I mean, this is, uh, as I was meditating on this this week, when Jesus says, I am uh, and claiming to be God, I mean, this is the scandal of the Christmas story. That God has come to dwell with us. Uh, Chris said this idea about Emmanuel, God with us. This really is a scandalous idea. We've, we've been Christians too long. We've had Christmas trees too long. Uh, we've uh, made Christmas lists too long. But to think that God would say in the person here, or in himself, says, I'm here. This is me. I am. Now, we know uh, that there are people that claim to be God. At different times, I mean, if somebody came to you and said, I'm God, you'd probably run the other direction, wouldn't you? You know, or like you'd say, well, what can you do for me? Uh, you know, uh, we, we would we would wonder about it. And I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's uh, impious of us or dismissive of us to say that because when Jesus said this, that, well, they said, well, sure, you, you should have believed it. That's a tough thing to hear, isn't it? That I am, I am God in front of you. This idea here. And so Jesus begins to make this statement. I am, and when I was meditating and thinking on this, I thought, this is exactly the Christmas story, Emmanuel, that God is where? With us. It isn't that just God is for us, or God is around us, or God is, you know, in the universe, which, you know, about every God, that if you look into their resume, that's kind of part of the deal. But that God is with us. In the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. And I want to spend a little time meditating on this and thinking about this from the Christmas side of it. Is what does that mean? That I am. Now, you, you may know this, that the word here, I am. When I, years ago when I first took Greek, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, in my first year Greek class, there were 32 of us. And we were all ready to go. Had our little Greek grammars there. My first year, second semester, there were 20 of us. My second year, first semester, there were 12 of us. My second year, second semester, there were six of us. That's what we call thin in the herd. And I remember in reading the Gospel of John as I began to study Greek, 
that when I saw this, when Jesus said to them, before Abraham was born, I am. I, it was like in my mind, 2,000 or something, not 2,000, but thousands of years of history crashed into that moment for Jesus to say, I'm him. I'm it. Now, you, you may know this about that name, I am. In Greek, it's ego, a me. Uh, it's interesting, the word I in Greek is ego, or not the thing you put in a toaster, but we translated ego, that the word for I in Greek is ego. And Jesus just said, ego, a me, I am. That is the exact translation from the Old Testament that when God said to Moses in, Genesis, or in uh, uh, Exodus 3, when he says, who shall I say sent me? He said, tell them I am. Now, I would have said, what? <laughs> would anybody, would, I am, finish the sentence. But this verb or this term here means to be. I am to be whatever you need. I am to be whatever the situation calls for. And this name, Yahweh, it's vocalized that way. It means I am. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idea of I am present to be whatever you need me to be. I am present to be uh, in your life to be whatever you want or whatever you need. This sacred name, however, was never spoken. Uh, in, the, in the Masoretic text or in places like that, we find that whenever this name Yahweh, it's a nice one, whenever uh, Yahweh was ever written in the Old Testament or the Dead Sea Scrolls, they would do this. Four blanks. We knew that. If, if you see uh, Orthodox Jews today write the name of God, they will write it like this. It's a sacred name. <clears throat> this idea. This is why the Jews are ready to kill Jesus at the drop of a hat when he uses the word ego eimi. I am. They are willing to now at this moment kill him. Because in the Old Testament, you can check this out in Rabbi's talk, you know there's no forgiveness for using the name of God in vain. There's no forgiveness for it. There's no way to expiate it. If you use God's name in vain, it is unforgivable. And uh, I tell my students this when we, when we look at this uh, word here, that when the Jews had such a reverence for God, that to use His name in anything other than worship was considered to be high treason. It was only spoken one time a year. This word, this, this name, Yahweh, if that's, again, there's some uh, suggestion as to how it might be how it transliterated. But it, it, it's this word that means Yahweh. This word or this name was only spoken one time a year by one person. On the Day of Atonement, when the high priest was about to enter into, if you will, the Holy of Holies, he would speak the name. When we were in Israel, uh, you'll see this often in different places. They call it Hashem, the name. That's all they talk about is the name. It's fascinating to me, again, that when, when Jesus says this, I am before Abraham. Can, can you imagine having a view of God's name like this? You, you don't even write it. You, you don't say it. You don't speak it. When rabbis read the Old Testament, they would read it. And as, may His name be praised, created the world. They wouldn't even say it. Can you imagine that kind of notion about the name of God? And then Jesus says... Here I am. Uh, Beth? You 
Yeah, okay, yeah. She's raising the question. I, I, I will tell you, I, you know, I tell my students this, uh, th that idea about God's name. Um, uh, you know, we tend to think that, and I'm not trying to be crude here, but we tend to think that we use God's name vain only when you use the word damn at the end of it, right? But that's really not what the word vain means. The word vain means to be using it in a way other than as worship and praise to God. And I've, you know, you don't have to agree with me. I, I don't agree with myself sometimes. <laughs> um, but, but I have said to my students before and thought that I think that it seems to me, I'm just telling you my opinion, it seems to me that to say, oh my, about a Trans Am or about a football game might be using it in vain. Might, might, might be using it in a way that is inappropriate for it. Uh, you know, uh, or, or that to, to use it in vain. But, but you know, you, you, can, you can argue about what that is, and I, you know, if it is or not, I'm, I'm not going to say that. But, but think about how high they view the name of God, Yahweh. They won't say it, they won't write it, they won't speak it. And Jesus says, I am. Now, now think about what that would mean to you. If somebody's standing right in front of you and says, I am God. I mean, take a little pause, wouldn't it? Back up a little bit. Talk to your wife, maybe. Say, you know, who is this guy? Uh, the, the idea here. Now, so Jesus is saying, I am is here. This sacred, incredible name that Jesus uses. So what does God being here tell us? What does Jesus being here and saying, I'm God in the flesh. What does that tell us? I want to look at a couple of things. Number one, I want to look here. Oh, okay, here. I am is here. I Probably do that first. <laughs> I am is here. The first thing is to reveal God's nature. When Jesus says, I am, and I'm here, what does He reveal? We're going to look back in John 1 real quick here, just for a moment, in John 1, 14 to 18. And these words are uh, recorded here when it says this, And the Word, verse 14, chapter 1, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His Glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. Now that's an interesting word there at the end of verse 18. Explains the word, we get the word exegete. It means to pull out the meaning. That this Son has pulled out the meaning, if you will, of who God is. So when Jesus says, I'm here, I'm, I'm God, what is He telling us about the nature of God? Number one, God did not just reveal things about Himself. He revealed Himself. Isn't that interesting? God didn't just reveal things about Himself. He revealed Himself. Now, I have friends, and maybe you do too. I mean, listen, again, we've had Christmas trees too long. We've been Christians too long. And when we hear this, when Jesus said, I am He, would God in the flesh, God incarnate, other people have problems with that. Did you know that at this season? Do you know people still have trouble believing that God could become a man? Hello? Anybody? Is this on? Oh. There are people, aren't there? 
the struggle there. Now, maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe you don't have questions about that. I have a few friends, if you will, that uh, still struggle with this idea. And it is impactful. You know, I, I give you a little history here that in 451, the council at Chalcedon was able to finally work some of these things out. That Jesus is both God and man. Now, how does that work? How is one both God and man? Uh, that's, the, that's the wonder of it. I, I was talking to Becky or some others the other day that I th sometimes think we've kind of taken the wonder out of Christmas. You know? I mean, think about this. Here's this God whose name you won't say, you won't speak it, now becomes a man and is standing in front of you and says, I am. That's who's here. I am has made it to this planet. And if you study that and think about that, it's fascinating, I think. So it comes to reveal Himself. comes to reveal Himself. Do you ever have questions about that? I have. About Jesus being God and man. We were in a, a focus or a centered group. And uh, we were talking about this uh, one time about Jesus and His life. And we were asking the question, uh, could Jesus have sinned? And that, I just asked the question and backed up. <laughs> I kind of like doing that. You know, just, just ask the question. Well, you know, here's the God, man. God, God is man, and, and he's, he's man of God, and, and could he have sinned? And, you know, at first we're kind of saying, well, of course not. And I go, well, how could he be tempted? How could he have been tempted if he were not fully God and fully man? I mean, think about that for a minute. This is a, again, we've been Christians too long to think about that this one who is God and man. Is, would have been able to sin, would have been able to fall, would have been able to do contrary to what? Now, you know, say, well, he had God on his side. Well, I, I want to ask you, I, no, I'm not going to say that. Here we go. I, I, read Philippians chapter 2 uh, during the holidays. I'll give you the, the, the cliff notes. <laughs> I know, that'll get that. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is working on this idea. He's working on this idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He says, Jesus emptied Himself. Notice that. He said He emptied Himself, not grasping or holding on to His divinity. Now, now let me walk you through that here, for, because this is, this is important. Jesus never ceased to be God. Never, never ceased to be God. But, but the Bible seems to suggest, and Paul is saying here, that Jesus never used His power in order to save Himself. Never. I mean, He is still God, right? He can read people's minds. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how people are going to act. He's still God. But Paul says here, He emptied Himself. The word is kenosis. He empties himself of his God powers, if you will, in that he won't grasp or hold on to them. That's the word there he uses. He grasps or holds on to it. That, that, that's going to be important here as we move through this, that, that, that Jesus was willing to empty himself and fully experience the human situation. Do you believe that? Yeah. Yes. Here's the question that always arises in this is, 
Is Jesus living a life as a human being that is possible for other human beings who would live that dependent on His Father? I'll just leave that for you to think about over Christmas. <laughs> that is the question. Is Jesus' life as a human being living life in such dependence on His Father that He's showing us how life can be lived. Because I will say this, I, I think that Jesus not only reveals something about God, He reveals something about us. But let's look here. What is it? Grace. Look here in chapter 1. He was full of what? Grace and truth. This feature here of grace, that, that when I am comes, what does he, he reveal? That God is with us. Okay, How is God with us? With grace. This feature is usually understood that, that Jesus reveals about Himself and about God, this matter of grace. I, I love the, the Hebrew word for grace, karan. It, it, or I'm going to get it right here. I, I get confused here. I love the Hebrew term uh, for grace, which means this. Grace means to stoop to help another who is less powerful than you are. Grace is to stoop to help someone who is less powerful than you are. Isn't that what Jesus did? did? When He became a human being, He stooped down, if you will. He took a step down to say, I'll be involved with these human beings in a way that brings them power and ability. He stoops, if you will, of a human being. So He's full of grace. Aren't you glad about that? He's full of But, but grace isn't just that God loves you and cares about you. Grace is really that Jesus got involved in our world. Think about this. This is so different than the other gods, if you will, of the, the world. Jesus' grace isn't that He's just kind to us and will forgive us. But Jesus' grace is that He stooped to enter the world you and I live in. He came to experience everything you and I have experienced. If you don't believe that, go read Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, 4, which it said that Jesus was tempted in every way as we were. Yet... What? Without sin. See, He stooped and He entered into this world to experience everything that we have. I've told you this uh, before. Uh, because of that, uh, my prayer life changed some years ago when I understood that. That Jesus, full of grace, I means He stooped down to come into my world. He came into your world, to my experience, your experience. That sometimes when I pray, all I say is this to Jesus. Remember. Remember. I don't have to tell him that I'm discouraged. I can say to him, remember what it's like to be discouraged. I don't have to say to him, help me, uh, you know, because I feel deserted. I can say to him, remember when it was you were deserted. If Jesus really entered into this world like the Bible tells us, he, you don't have to tell him anything in terms of informing him about these experiences. He knows about them. He experienced them. He stooped into this world to say, I'll take on, I'll experience everything you do. How would your prayer life change if you understood that, that Jesus stooped into this world to experience all that we had, and all you had to say to Him was, remember. Remember. Do you believe that Jesus really experienced life to that depth? Hello? <laughs> Do you, I'm not asking for it. Do you believe He stooped 
to that level. He understands everything you experience and I experience. He understands everything you feel and I feel. This revelation, if you will, of God stooping to help us. There's a great story by a great theologian named Soren Kierkegaard. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, he told a story about a great king who fell in love with a maiden. I guess that's a young girl. I, you know, so. so he... Uh, he falls in love with her, and he's crazy about her. He can't think of anything else but her. And so he thinks about, how will I win her heart? I mean, if he goes as the king and says, hey, I love you, love me back. <laughs> She'll have to, right? <laughs> he's king. If he goes to her and says, I love you, come live in my palace, he goes, well, I'm kind of busy, uh, you know, on the weekend. What will she do? Automatically come. So Kierkegaard in this story says, that because of this, because of the king's understanding of this, what the king does is he takes on the, the clothing and the life of a peasant. And he begins to go back to the village and meet her and talk to her and work as a common laborer. And as they get to know one another and as they begin to experience life together, she begins to be interested in him and begins to, to notice him and they begin to develop a relationship. And Kierkegaard tells this great story, you can read it, it's in his Philosophical Fragments, that, that this idea that, that because of that, that at one point the girl, if you will, falls in love with him and only after that does he reveal who he is. Now you know when I saw that I thought that's a, that's a great story that got ripped off by Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> You know, it's a great story about Kierkegaard, philosophical fragments. I'm thinking how great. That's Beauty and the Beast, you know, right? But, but the idea was that the king knew that in order for there to be a real relationship of love between he and that maiden, he had to descend into her world. There had to be an understanding between them, not of power. I, so I thought about this. I thought, you know what? A God of power would scare us. If all God is is power... That would scare us. A God of purity would repel us. If all we knew of God, if He revealed Himself and said, Hey, I'm good, you're not, get, get it straightened out. I, that, that would have been more than we could bear. Yes? I'm not sure what you're... He didn't become anything. He, became, he was the Son of God and human. He experienced all temptation. It says, the Bible says, in tempted in every way as we were. Ways, not... It may not be the specific matter, but in the ways that we were tempted. He was tempted in every way as we were. And partially, I would say, or partly, I would say that what the temptation is, for all of us that he experienced, was to live independent of God. That's the real temptation, isn't it? To live independent of God. I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I, I got this handled. So, so the idea of, of him becoming, he didn't become anything in that regard. He experienced everything we experience. And that idea of living independent or uh, apart from God. So if God would just come and reveal himself as pure, it would repel us. A God of knowledge, if he just came and said, I've got all the answers. If you'll come over here, I'll, I'll give them to you. Would intimidate us. If God revealed Himself like this, it would be, if you will, intimidating. But watch this. 
I think a God of grace would awaken us. A God of grace would awaken us. I, I know in teaching over the years that I have, that I've watched students, um, and, you know, as I'm teaching, I'm watching and trying to gauge what's going on in the room. And I've watched sometimes when students, if you will, are either intimidated or irritated, and those are two words they use with me sometimes, irritated. <laughs> They're irritated, you know, uh, that, that in life and, 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 and going through life, I, I've noticed that, that often when you put a lot of pressure on people, they don't change. Often when you come at them really strongly, they don't change. But when you enter into a person's life, and you begin to try to understand their story and what they're experiencing, it's a fascinating thing to see how grace awakens us. How grace begins the process of transformation in our life. That it opens us up, if you will, to God. And so in this thing, Jesus, it says here, He stooped down to us. He, he came to our level. He's a God of grace who awakens us. There's another term, another word here, or another nuance to this word grace. The word grace also, if you will, is, comes from, uh, in, in, uh, in a Greek, comes from the root that means joy. Grace always brings, if you will, joy. I, I, it, it's not just that, that God cares about us and loves us, but it seems to me that God's grace, full of grace to us, wants to bring us joy. I mean, how can you not be joyful? At the, I mean, well, that's a stupid thing to say, Cliff. I, I know, okay. Let, let me back up. Okay, let me back up. I've been grading all weekend, so, and degrading. Certainly, there can be, at this time of year, some difficult feelings and struggles. People are lonely. People have lost loved ones. That, 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 that's part of the season. But you know, the word joy here, this idea comes from grace, is that joy isn't the same as happiness. Joy isn't, if you will, as some have said, it isn't dependent on circumstances. And really, the idea of the joy of the season is based on the relationship that I can have with the immortal God. Just don't, just don't think that everybody's happy and everybody's having a great time and everything's what there, There's pain at this time. We, we need to be sensitive to that. We, we, we might need to stoop a little bit to some people. We might need to be willing to say to others, hey, it looks like this is a tough time for you. But the idea here of joy is that in relationship with God through His Son, Divine Son is offered to us who neither, in, neither deserve it or could ever hope to earn it. Joy. Joy comes from God's grace in His Son that says, I'm with you. I'm with you. The second thing here. Look here. What does he produce or reveal? Truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, truth about what? <laughs> well, I'll come to that in a second. But I went to college with a guy named Kirk Bellows. Becky and I did. Um, and Kirk was an interesting guy. He was a sweet kid, kind of naive. He was blonde. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting around to some guys who are blonde, okay? And we liked Kirk. We liked Kirk. He was a really nice guy. But he was a little flighty. You know, I, I mentioned he was blonde, right? <laughs> Kurt goes to the airport at Houston uh, years ago, went back when it was Intercontinental Airport, and uh, comes back and is all excited in the dorms and wants to tell everybody he's bought a new watch at the airport. <laughs> okay, strike one. 
And Kirk comes in and, and is telling us how excited he is. And he got this new one. He's a college kid. He doesn't have a lot of money. And he comes and tells us he bought this bull of a watch from this guy that just had several watches and was taking a flight and didn't want to carry him with him. <laughs> I mentioned he's blonde, right? <laughs> Strike two. And so he's telling us all about this. And he said, you know, I made this great price. And he said, I bought this bull of a watch. And he said, look at it, Cliff. And I looked at it. And I just said, Kirk, look closer. He said, what are you talking about? I said, look at that. That's not a Bulova. It's a Bolivia. <laughs> There's a couple of eyes in there you didn't see. You know, that, that, that the truth is you don't have a Bulova. You should have known that. What is the truth about something? You know, we, people tell us all kinds of things. This guy told Kirk it was a wonderful watch. It was a bulova. It would last forever. I think it broke when he walked out of the room and went back to his room. But the truth here. What is the truth here? He said he's full of grace and truth. What is the truth? The Scriptures seem to suggest here that Jesus tells us the truth about God and He tells me the truth about me. He tells me the truth about God, and He tells me the truth about me. Now, isn't that interesting there? Uh, I, I hesitate to use this word, but I thought about using the word dialectic here uh, by the, for the end of the year. For the end of the year. That He's full of grace and truth. Grace, He stoops. He, he will, if you will, reaches down. He, he comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's full of grace. He's also full of truth. He's also full of truth. To tell us about God, that God is for us, not against us. That God cares about everyone. That God is not playing favorites with any one group. That He is constantly reaching to others to care for them. That He tells me the truth about me. Now this comes back to that original thought we thought, I said about. I, I, there would be a lot of discussion here. But, but what is the truth? about me. I know I've said this before. Is it possible that Jesus shows me the truth that, and I'm just going to put it on me here, that I could live like Him? I say, whoa, he's, hold on, I understand. I, there's some complications here. But when I've said that to my students or others, they say, well, I can't live like Jesus. And I said, okay, let's ask the question. How was Jesus able to live like Jesus? The Bible said He was fully human, right? Fully God, fully man. He had the power to heal. He had the power to know what people were thinking. But He was fully man. I, I wonder, I'm just, this maybe help you with a Christmas meditation. When I see Jesus in the New Testament saying, I am, I'm here. I see a person who is absolutely, categorically, without exception, dependent on His Father. And when I look at my life, I see a person who thinks they can do it on their own. Or I see a person who thinks, I know that's what you said, but. Right? I, I, I know that's what the Bible tells me, but. I see a person who is constantly wrestling and struggling, in my life at least, with being self-sufficient, independent and able to live my life on my own.
Some years ago, I, and I've told you before about this, I, I, I've struggled all these years with a prayer life. Because when I close my eyes, I just start thinking of all kinds of stuff. It's worse than when my eyes are open. And that's bad. But I remember writing one time in my journal this thought about the truth about me. And it said this, Cliff, are you going to live in the arrogance of prayerlessness? Are you, are you, Cliff, are you going to live in the arrogance of prayerlessness? It, it, prayerlessness says, I, I got this on my own. I got, I got this figured out. When I look at Jesus and I look at me and I say, what's the difference here? You say, well, he's the son of God. I know that. I get that. But the Bible says he emptied himself and didn't hold on or grasp to any of that. I mean, this is some radical thought here about Christmas, isn't it? The truth about Jesus is, is He help, helping us to understand what a life of utter dependence looks like? You're talking about prayer, and I was thinking about how we pray in Jesus' name. I thought, isn't For the sake of recording that because of who we pray in Jesus' name, we, we don't, we're not afraid of this name anymore. We pray in His name. We have hope because of Him. I, I'm, just, I'm just asking some questions here because, you know, Christmas can get kind of fundamentally the same old thing every year. That little baby, it's great. I, I love all that. But, but the idea that Jesus is full of grace and truth, what's the truth He's trying to tell us about? It's the truth about God, who He is. What's he trying to tell us about us? What's he trying to tell us about who we are? And a life, if you will, of dependence on him. I will tell you, every problem I have or every struggle, and maybe it's like this for you. Every problem, every struggle I have is my independence. It's when I think, I got it. I'll, I'll kind of call you when I need you, you know. I, I want to treat God a little bit like a waiter, you know. You know, I, I go to the, what would you do, you know, if, the, if you order some food today and the waiter sits down and says, hey, it looks pretty good, I'll have half of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we'd think something's wrong, right? Or we'd think we're at my house. <laughs> that, 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 that the idea there is we'll kind of call him when we need him. Or is it a life of utter dependence? I mean, that, that's a hard question to answer. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you can just do it right now, but to say, what is the truth here? So it says, from His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And verse 17, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I, uh, I don't always want to face the truth about me. I don't want to face the truth about me. I had a situation this week where uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing grades. And... Uh, Students uh, are, are, are contesting. I always tell students, you know, if you'd be this concerned about your grade on December the 8th, and like in October, you'd be fine. <laughs> so they bring uh, something to me. They say, Cliff, we see an error in the grading that you've done. That always makes you feel good. And I said, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> no, I, didn't say that. I didn't say that. But... I, I said, they said, uh, you have miscalculated our grade. And I said, that's not possible. It's in a spreadsheet. I had trust technology. That's it. 
They said, no, no, you put some points in there. I had a deal in my syllabus. In my mind, it was 150 points for students to participate in class through a blog. See, that's what I thought. I put it in there, 150 points, and uh, hardly anybody did it, so everybody's going down a letter grade, basically. And they came to me and they said, well, the problem is, Cliff, you put the word in there, bonus points, and we thought it was optional. Now i got a choice. Now I have to decide. The truth of the matter is, I blew it. Sort of. <laughs> I'm standing there thinking they should understand what I said. And I sent them back to the website because I had a recording about participation points. And I said, well, go back and listen to October 20th and you'll understand what I said. And they said, but it's in the syllabus this way. And I said, but the record, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing there and I said, well, I, you know, famous words, of a, I'll take a look at it later. And when they walk off, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of elbowed me and said, you know what, Cliff, you need to fix this. You're wrong and they're right. Now, can I say something about this? Some of us, when we hear the truth about us, we hear our parents. Or we hear some accusing, hateful kind of voice in our head. Sometimes when we get the truth about ourselves, it's all jammed up with shame and anger and failure and all those kinds of things. I don't, tell you, I don't believe that's the Spirit of God at all. That's your background, that's your training. It's the shame that still is locked up in there somewhere. It's very simple in my mind that Jesus just said to the Holy, to the Holy Spirit to say, you made a mistake, you can make this right. Or you can bow your neck and send everybody to an academic appeal. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Cliff? It's your choice. This is the truth about you. It, again, it wasn't condemning. Listen to me now. This is why we avoid the truth about ourselves. It's too hard to hear. It's too hard to listen to. Because we think that condemning voice and hateful voice and that kind of give up and quit voice and that, that kind of you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough is God. I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe that for a second. Because I'll tell you why. Here's, here's how you can know. Here's how you can know when that truth is from God or from your parents, or your grandparents, or your own head. Here's, here's how you know. If it's from your own head, or your own training, the basic characteristic will be, give up. Quit. You're never going to make it. You might as well stop right now. Now, who wants you to do that? Satan himself. Yeah, if, 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 if when you see the truth about you, or I see the truth about me, when the, the idea is quit, you'll never measure up, you're not going to be good enough, you'll never... Listen, that's not the Spirit of God. How you know when the Spirit of God? When it's clear as crystal. It wasn't some cosmic kind of, you're failing, Cliff. You've blown it. it it's always going to be clear as crystal. This is what it is. This is what we need to work on. And there's a sense of hope. We can fix this. This can be done. 
we can go forward. If you don't believe that, just go look at Hebrews chapter 12 when it says when we get corrected, we get corrected so we might participate in His goodness. Go read that. God corrects us. God identifies things so that we might share or participate in His goodness. So maybe this Christmas, the truth about you is something you've avoided. Or the truth about you is something you've kind of stayed away from. Because when you hear it, it's from your enemy. And you feel like quitting. When God deals with you, it's so that you can share and I can share in His goodness. This God is full of grace and truth. That's when Jesus said, I am is here. The two needs you and I have every day of our life is God's grace to stoop to us to help us. And what? The truth to live out in our daily lives. I want to ask you to consider over the holidays that this I am who is here. That you would experience, I know there's another blank for you that have to have that filled out. Come see me. We'll get that taken care of later. Or I'll send you to a counselor. I know that. I get that. But, but I want to ask you to consider. I want to ask you to consider. During the holidays, we'll have a couple of weeks. And, and I'm kind of asking myself for this to be my new year, the way I'm moving into the new year. That this one who has come, has come to bring grace to stoop down to where I am. No matter where you are, to stoop down to where you are. And also to help you with the truth of who you are. Not to shame you, not to hurt you, to heal you. To help you. In the coming year, you're going to hear things in your head. In the coming year, you're going to see truth about you. Does it depress you? Discourage you? Cause you want to quit? It's not from God. Put it off. Don't, don't stand for it. Put it away. Or when the truth comes that God shows you about yourself or it shows me about me, to say this can be fixed, this can be dealt with, if you'll trust me and look to me. You know, we can have a great year if we lived with this one who is I am who stoops to help and helps us to see ourselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this Christmas thing uh, is bigger uh, than most I ever think it is. It's uh, not just about a little baby. It's, that's part of it. But it's about this one who comes as I am. The great God of Israel. The great God who comes to, to make all things new. And you come to bring grace and truth. So may our lives, may my life be characterized by your grace of stooping to where I am. To never wonder for the rest of this year and the coming year whether you're there to help me, to, to stoop, to be there. Your, your coming in the form of Jesus proves that. Or that, that you are full of truth and able me to deal with the things in my life that you know we can fix, we can correct. Help me to be more dependent on you, more reliant upon you in this coming year. Cause us to celebrate this coming Christ as the great I Am. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. See you in two weeks.